Welcome back, fellow brain tools. If you're enjoying the content, loving the show, the potty, uh, subscribe to whichever podcast platform you're on now or follow and join in the journey on LinkedIn and Instagram brain tools podcast right there. Oh yeah, click that button. Welcome to the Brain Tools at Work series, where we're basically going to look at neuroscience applied in the workplace to create more effective individuals and teams. We are so excited to have you. Now, Sam, what are we covering today? Today, we're going to be covering in episode one, productivity in the workplace and in the brain. We're going to talk a little bit about concepts like limbic friction, procrastination, give you a model to think about productivity at work. Plus, we give you six brain tools for amplifying and optimizing your productivity by optimizing the way you use your brain at work. It's a jam-packed episode. We're really, really excited to have you here with part of this series. Let's get in. Let's get started. And welcome back to another episode of Brain Tools, uh, episode one of our Brains at Work series. Kieran, how are you, my friend? I am. I'm delightful. I am so, so keen to get stuck into this particular series just because so many people have been speaking about, hey, how does neuroscience actually apply at work? I'm going to deep dive and give some very, very practical tips on how to boost productivity today, which I'm, look, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive and what a topic to talk about. Like you said, I get plenty of requests for this. How do I focus more at work? How do I manage my attention, my energy? Um, And there's a a little... little line that I like to say, which is your brain tells you how to be productive if you know what the signals are. And we're going to talk about that today. Yeah, I absolutely love that because I was actually speaking to a friend um, in preparation for this and like they were talking, I was asking them, hey, how's work going? How's it all going? They work at one of the big tech firms, so to speak. Mm. Um, And they were all due respect, complaining about all the unnecessary meetings they were having, the interruptions, yep. the emails right. that would literally come through, all the burnout that was actually happening. And it raised a really interesting question that I just wanted to actually understand, which is like, how much deep work do we actually get done in the workplace? Because there's this really salient difference between productivity, which we're speaking about today, and being busy. And I'm sure you've seen that before in a lot of people, including ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Like everyone I speak to is, has a productivity problem at work. And that, that goes to people you know, in, in my parents' demographic or the people just entering the workforce. People are a lot worse um, at getting stuff done now. And there are a whole multitude of reasons we're going to touch on. It's such a good point because I've actually got a study that I, I looked in because I really wanted to understand this. And it was a UK study in 2016. And it showed that across 2,000 office workers that they looked at, that the average amount of work that was actually completed during a day was three hours even though the wow. average time spent at work was about eight and a half hours. So if you think of that as a bit of a ratio, that's like, what, 38% time on task. So this whole idea of we're always productive, we're always getting stuff done, it becomes a little bit mis- bit of a misnomer, to be honest with you. Wow. Three, so three out of eight hours. And you know what? Uh, experientially, I can conclusively say that when I was in a job, that's pretty true from the people you know. But you, like, you're totally right about the fact that we just don't get that much work done in a day. Yeah, and I think, look, Peter Drucker, who's meant to be the godfather of management, so to speak, and he had a very famous book called Management by Objectives, and he's got a very, very good quote here, which he says, until we can manage manage time, we can manage nothing else. And I think that really hits salient for what we're actually doing today because true productivity, let's be frank, it's not just completing time. You're not productive mm, if you just sit yeah. there and complete time. It's impossible. Productivity is output divided by input. It's what you produce per unit time. And so I think that's probably the way we want to frame today's uh, episode is to really deep dive on how you get more done in a given amount of time, not just having, hey, I'll increase to 50, 60 hours because, hey, burnout. doesn't are make you, sense. Are you listening to this, managers? It's not time. It's output, okay? Someone write that down. Someone write that down and put on are the manifesto. Are you speaking to me right now? No, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm not tricking. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, it's like it's a really good point. And today we're going to share some ways to squeeze more productivity out of your brain, as you said, be getting more done in those hours, not about spending more hours doing so. We're also going to touch on things like focus, attention, procrastination, and how this all works in the brain. So stick around if those things are interesting. And if you want the six brain tools that we're going to give you in the second half of the episode. But getting into it, I think productivity is something you've got to kind of define beforehand because everyone has their own definition. Oh, we love to define stuff here, don't we? And I think from a work perspective as well, like I think we've obviously got productivity in a personal life, work life. I think what is a really decent frame is actually a book, Shock, uh, called The Productivity Project by a guy called Chris Bailey. Sam, have you read this one? So I actually have not read this at all. 
Well, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's an interesting one, if I can say to you, because he's a, he's a type of dude that just loves to experiment with his life and he runs all these different productivity experiments a la Tim Ferriss. But what I will say to you is I think he's got an awesome frame for productivity because if we look at productivity just in terms of time, that's probably a bit of a narrow frame. He actually mm. splits productivity into three different parts. May cool. I share with you? Yes, please do. You know how much we love a bit of a framework? Oh, framework. Mental models. Go. Now, uh, the first three, the three components are time, attention, and energy that actually are an overarching view for productivity. So if you can imagine like a, a three-pronged Venn, Venn diagram where productivity is right at the center of that, he thinks that these three parts are really important. And I just want to give the questions that are raised, that he raises, that are, are indicative of this. Time is, what do I spend my time on? Attention, how much focus do I have when I use my time? And energy is, how long can I do this for? And I think using it in terms of those three different areas could be a bit useful in actually uh, actually looking at all the different problems people might have within that productivity equation, just so we can get more out depending upon the sector we need. Yeah, it's, it's a really good frame of reference to look at it as well, because most people, when they think about productivity, they just think, oh, I just need to get more done. They don't actually explicitly state how. And what, like one of the big problems I keep coming across with the people I talk to, even in my own personal life, to be honest, um, is that lots of us are really struggling to just sit down and focus for periods of time, focus for five minutes. Um, And that comes down to attention. So give you a really brief example. When I was writing these notes, it actually took me about five days to do three hours work. Naughty Sam. I know, terrible of me. (laughs) And it's because every time I would sit down within about five to 10 minutes, I would get distracted. And the, the problem I'm kind of touching on is that the, the world we live in, the modern world we live in, every day we're rewiring our brains for what I call disfocus. And what this means is attention shifting. This process is called cortical remapping. And what we're actually doing is we're teaching ourselves, as we've touched on in a former episode on attention, go listen to that if you want to get in deeper. We're teaching ourselves to task switch between different things, whether that's checking our Slack, checking our email, writing that new email, writing a, a blog post or doing X task while also having a look at our phone and looking at those ESPN notifications come in and those WhatsApp groups come in. <laughs> get, um, in doing so, we're actually rewiring our brain and getting better at this disfocused state of attention shifting and switching, which is why it's so much harder to focus right now. Um, give you a quick example for, for anyone listening and even for you, Kieran, you know, how many times you've been doing something, um, trying to focus really hard and then your phone buzzes and instantly you just, you're out of it. You pulled straight out of it. Yeah. It happens literally all the time. Like right now I'll be frank, we're doing this episode and there's construction in the background. It is doing my head in, right? It is literally doing my head in. And I'm like trying to focus on you right now. And I've had to, but like, look, I love you. You're great, but there's construction. Sam, I'm sorry. <laughs> so what Kieran's trying to say is more attracted to construction workers than me. Um, oh. Thanks, Kieran. That hurts. Brutal, brutal breakup brutal. on brain tools. <laughs> you had it here first. Extra, extra. Um, but what it comes down to is the fact that your focus in your brain is handled by the salience network. So it's made up for a couple of different brain regions, uh, the ACC, your amygdala, your insula, your brainstem, which handles your executive attention. And what that means is your ability to focus on one task and choose what that is. And when we're in this state of disfocus or when we're constantly task switching, That actually comes with a cost because every time you try to do something new, whether that's looking at your phone rather than writing an email or listening to construction workers while you're trying to talk on a podcast, your brain has to switch out rule sets and the basal ganglia has to switch out these task sets, as cognitive scientists call them. And to do that actually requires energy. So there's a time and an energy cost when you're switching between things. It's actually such a good one. An analogy is coming to my mind, and I really hope this actually hits the mark on this one. But, uh, Sam, I'm likening this to basically when you cross a bridge and you have to pay a toll, right? Yep. Let's just imagine you're on point A, the this side, and point B on the other side. Well, every time you cross the bridge, you have to pay a toll, you pay it in money. And say you mm. want to get back on the other side of the bridge, you've just got to pay another toll. Uh, the essential, essential part here of task switching is every single time you switch from task A to task B or you cross that bridge, you pay a toll with money. And in this case, money is energy or your attention. So it's no wonder that if we're constantly switching between these two things, that we're going to clearly deplete our ability to pay attention loosely, right? Um, mm. When you're obviously switching amazingly between all these different things. And especially when a lot of people are working at home. Now, I don't know if yeah. that analogy actually makes any sense, but it popped into oh, my head and I thought hit. it did. <laughs> that hit, that sticks. I love it. Because you can immediately see that every time you're crossing the bridge, you're paying for it. 
Um, but it, like, is there any proof? No, nah, there's none. Right. No, I'm kidding. No, there's, <laughs> no, heaps. there's heaps. No, there's a study. There's a study. And you know how we love a study here. Yep. 1997, the Journal of Experimental Psychology by Robert Rogers, PhD, and Stephen Monsell. They actually found that even when people had to switch completely, and even if it was predictable between two tasks, every two to four trials, they were still slower on the task switch than on the task repeat trials. Task switch being I'm switching from A to B, and yep. task repeat I'm doing A, 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 A. And so you could see that, that is, it is a, a prolonged impact um, on a lot of people, and especially when they're not actually aware of it. They might not even be aware they're actually switching between tasks as well. Absolutely. I mean, most people don't. They think they're just, oh, I'm just checking my phone, or oh, I'm just checking my emails while I'm doing this, when the reality is your brain has to like replace the current program for whatever you're doing with a new program. And in doing so, you've got this task switching cost, which makes everything slower. Yeah, it makes everything slower and you don't even realize it. And I think yeah. that that's a really nice way to sort of round out, obviously, the sort of attention or focus component. But I think what's interesting then is to look at a second variable, right, which is obviously time in this particular equation. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's a really interesting variable in that model, but also from uh, a work perspective to think about time in corresponding it with procrastination because mm, that's that's what most people tie it to, right? It's it's not just I don't have enough time. It's I didn't do the thing because I procrastinated and now I don't have enough time and it's due tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. and holy shit, I am busy tonight. <laughs> it's almost the direct, <laughs> direct conversation that goes down in people's heads. So even sitting down to write these notes, as I said before, I was I was pulling out my hair um, because I was procrastinating. And you're you're really digging a hole here. You just like, hey, Kieran, I literally just did these notes literally five minutes. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's prepared, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) And like the big question everyone has is why? Why do I procrastinate? Mm. Why do we procrastinate? What is the purpose of procrastinating? Especially at work when you have things that need to be done. You've got a deadline tomorrow, or you've got a contract that has to go out, or you've got to get tasks done before the end of the day, and yet we still procrastinate. So why? Work here in. And that's what I wanted to find out. And that's what I did find out. And tell me, tell here's, me. Here's a, a great simplification of it all. What happens is the perceived work we do mm-hmm. or want to do is categorizes our brain as harder and less rewarding than the alternatives. For example, mm. sitting in down and writing these notes was less engaging and harder to do than sitting down and scrolling through TikTok. For another example, writing 20 emails is less engaging and less rewarding than watching 20 YouTube videos. And what happens in our brain is every time we're making one of these decisions to actively decide to do a task or a process and commit energy to it, we're making this this micro cost-benefit analysis. And Mm -hmm. if you've got alternatives in your environment that seem to be easier and more rewarding, of course, your brain is going to gravitate towards them. So this, this tension between what you want to do and what you should do and what your brain is telling you to do can be kind of described as limbic friction by the great man, Dr. Andrew Huberman, um, where your limbic system or the uh, ventral part of your salience network is fighting against that executive function, that decision-making, that deliberate conscious part of your brain, the processing in your PFC. And what ends up happening is our limbic system, this unconscious emotional part of our brain, is stronger to the, than the PFC, so often wins this battle. I love that. Like, as a, I, I just love the word friction in this, yeah. right? Because the, the question that's coming to it. mind, right, is like how easy can you make it to do the task? Or the alternative is how hard can you make mm. it? And your point on this where you've got – you know, this selection of all these different things in your environment, you're going to select the thing that's easy. And I think that links so well with that whole idea of cognitive ease or cognitive difficulty, which is, I'm I'm coming across as really cynical against humans. I hope this is not the case. I'm not anthropic. (laughs) I don't hate humans. However, (laughs) humans will generally take the path of least resistance. Oh, absolutely. right. And that's why the Stoics and the ancient Greeks and Romans would always say wisdom is delaying gratification. Like that, mm. that is exactly what it is. And that's part and parcel of what, what you need to do when it comes to actually getting the things you need to get done, done. Absolutely. I mean, we can see there's lots of psychological research on this. We're talking Zipf's law of least effort. Um, it's just that our brain as a survival mechanism was optivi- optimized to conserve calories, to conserve energy. And so this is what's happening when you procrastinate is your brain's conserving energy by saying, hey, this is way too hard, way too effortless. There's no reward at the end. You know what's much better? Why don't we just go watch a funny TikTok? Or why don't we just go on Instagram and scroll and get that instant reward feedback? So as you said, it's really about giving the brain what feels good now while avoiding what feels unpleasant now. And procrastination is just projecting this difficulty on a task and then 
your brain saying to do something easier and more instantly rewarding rather than this delayed gratification. Okay, that is awesome, that part. I think that allows you projecting difficulty. Like it, it does raise the question of whether things are objectively hard or easy and mm. the projection or the perception we have because generally something feels hard or feels easy mm. and obviously there's some objective like, hey, this is a hard thing to do, but I think it's a lot of the perception that we have and I think Piers Steele who wrote the book on the procrastination equation sort of sums it up really, really well. Nice. Um, and you know how we like this. Let's just bring back some algebra. Ooh, um, yeah, yeah, you love a bit of we, we got uh, brain, brain tools with a side of calculus. From oh, I know, right? Well, this is, just, this is just classic me, isn't it? So I think, look, when we look at this, the, mm. the motivation, if you will, he likes to think that the opposite of procrastination is motivation. That's a bit of a debate. However, I, will like, I really like the way that he has this formula, which he says, yep. motivation is equal to expectancy multiplied by value divided by impulsiveness multiplied by delay. Now, Sam, I'm not going to leave you there hanging. Can I explain this one? Yes, please. Dive into it. Give us, uh, give us the dates. Well, so when it comes to the first one, right, obviously the idea with expectancy and value is you want to increase things. If you increase yep. these things, then overall motivation should increase. Now, value actually refers to how much you enjoy doing a task and how much you'll enjoy the reward from completing it. So aligns so well with your idea of the perceived um, gratification that you will get or the expected gratification. Expectancy, though, and I found this one really interesting, mate, because I, I actually didn't think too much about this, is how much you expect to succeed at doing the task and how much you expect to get the reward. Does that mm. one make sense to you? It makes a lot of sense with what we know about re er reward prediction coding or error prediction coding and the way the brain works by constantly calculating you know, the reward for something and the outcomes and then costing that versus the energy. Yeah, so I, I, I'm totally with you there because when it was resonating, when can you remember when like you've done something that you literally don't know how to do, right? You've never been taught yeah. how to do it. It's like that you're not going to do it because like the path of least is, is, is to not to because you don't know how. So exactly that idea right. of expectancy, I think, was a big one for me. And then obviously on the bottom, impulsiveness and delay. We want to decrease these things to overall increase motivation. Impulsiveness, yep. clearly something I need to work on. Refers to your tendency <laughs> to get distracted and your ability to stay focused, really linking nicely with attention and delay. Again, a really interesting one refers to the fact that the further away a task, reward, or completion is, the less motivated we will be. And, mate, I just love how synergistic this is with what you were talking about yeah. before with the whole idea of reward mechanisms as well. But that is the procrastination equation and very, very interesting. Yeah, it is so interesting. It makes so much sense to use that delay. And it's a lot of, it's something people don't think about now, which is that when we're procrastinating, effectively, we're making a, mo a choice in that moment to choose something that's instantly gratifying gratifying versus doing something that's hard that has delayed gratification. Example, doing a piece of work that needs to be done. Yeah. And this is why it's so easy if we, if we go back to the top at work to fall into the things that make you feel busy and like conflating that with productivity. Like totally. you get to the end of the day and your emails are inbox zero. That's fantastic. But hey, did you actually complete the task that's going to move the business or your role forward the most? And that becomes an interesting one, especially when it comes to your energy because you can only spend so much energy on certain things, right? Totally, totally. And it aligns with like a lot of the work we know. And the energy points are a really good one because I think a lot of people don't think about energy when it comes to productivity. And they definitely don't think about energy systems and cycles throughout the day when it comes to their productivity. You know, people tend to front load their work. They say, oh, you know, in the morning, eat your frogs in the morning. Was it eat your toads in the morning? Do the hard work in the morning. David and Allen. David <laughs> Allen. We love, we love a good quote. But that might actually not be the best path for a couple of people. I'll give you an example is I cannot think for shit in the afternoon. I, I, so I, I know I it's very strong for you. It's, look, this is a bit of therapy you're coming on this journey with me so welcome aboard um i, I simply cannot cannot think and do operationally focused tasks in the afternoon i can't do it i get the post-lunch sleepies i mean most people do and then feel guilty about doing nothing in the afternoon so then i end up working at the night time but but mm -hmm. In the morning, my energy systems are optimized so that, and we're going to touch on this in a second, so that anytime I have operational work, admin work, or direct path outcome work, as Andrew Huberman um, calls it, things that I already know how to do and just have to execute, I am able to just knock those out in the morning. However, when it comes to creative work, I actually really struggle in the morning to write. Really struggled in the morning to write. And... I know some people who are the inverse, some people who can't function to midday, they're actually really creative in the morning, but then in the afternoon, they have this burst of energy. I, I find that one really, really interesting as well, because like, you know how everyone's like totally like, what's well, the most searched article I saw this like on LinkedIn the other day, which is like, 
uh, your billionaire morning routine. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was like, uh, is that a misattribution possibly? Um, but to your point, I think we've got to be really mindful of the circadian ultradian rhythms that we actually do have, right? And that's what you're speaking to, which is we yeah, all have this exactly. biological clock on the well, in the macro sense, right? Our hourly clock, so to speak. But we also have ultradian rhythms, which is our minute to minute, so to speak, that work in 90 to 120 minutes. And I think what it's revealing is everyone has their own zone of effectiveness, They've got a time of day, whether that's one hour, two hours, three hours, where they are absolutely on. And it just kind of makes sense. Find that time and absolutely double down on it, um, to your point. Because some people literally can't function um, in that way at certain parts of the day, but others can. Yeah. I hit the that term for it is brilliant. I really love that. That zone of effectiveness. Uh, and the only color I would add to that is that you could have zone of effectiveness for different tasks. For example, when you're at a higher alertness level, whether you are a morning person like I am, where my alertness is just through the roof in the morning um, and my systems are all systems go, operational tasks are going to be really come really easy to you because you're just in that execution focused um, thinking mode. Whereas creative tasks, you might be better optimized to do them in the afternoon where you're a little bit sleepier. And if you do want to dig down into this, um, like I said, the great man, Dr. Andrew Huberman has a podcast where he talks about this stuff too. But effectively, we just have these different states of autonomic arousal or alertness that contribute to how good we are at a certain type of task, whether that's creative or um, execution pieces. And so just optimizing for those things is really, really important. Yeah, I love that. I I think that's a really important thing to note, the difference between the operational, so to speak, and creative work. But I think that one thing that underscores, and we've spoken about this so much, like let's be frank, if you don't get some of these pillars right of sleep, diet, exercise, and relationships, oh, totally. like totally. this whole energy piece makes no sense. Like I've rocked up to work hungover before, Sam. I think you have. <laughs> it doesn't really work. Like there's some people that can, right? And that's, no an absolute small, <laughs> that's an absolute small percentage of the population. But my analogy for this is like, say you've got, like, say you've got a guitar, right? And it's out of mm. tune. You could put some Santana on that guitar and Santana can't make it sound that fantastic. You could put an average performer on it though with a really in-tune guitar and it's going to work really, really well. So I think this energy piece is really understanding how in tune is your guitar? Because if it's not in tune, what's the point? That's a great analogy. I, f- I feel like you've stolen my analogy things because yours have been super hot today and I love it. I'm you a big jealous. fan. I'm a little, uh, <laughs> I'm might be a little bit of jealousy. Um, productivity tip number one, don't get jealous at work. <laughs> Relationships, make sure harmony. Let's get to the trust yeah. episode soon. <laughs> okay, so we're about to wrap up this section and talk about brain tools. And just before we do, uh, building on that guitar analogy, there, there are a lot of people I know who have sleep inertia in the morning. You know, those people who are really groggy throughout their day, throughout the mid-morning, they struggle to get up. Um, and most of those people I know are also the same people who snooze their alarm clocks a couple of times. So this is just a small PSA. If you are staying in bed, if you are snoozing your alarm clock, if you're not using the last brain tool we're going to cover, brain tool number six, there's a high chance you're actually disrupting your awakening response, which is your body's natural mechanism to kickstart your your body's systems, your brain systems, and wake you up. And that is contributing to that grogginess and why you feel so slow in the morning. And without further ado, it actually leads on to our next section where we're going to give you brain tools to counteract this and all those other conundrums we just talked about. Well done. You've made it this far. So if you are loving this Brain Tools episode, share it with one person you actually think can benefit from this episode. Remember, sharing is caring and your brain makes our support happy. Uh, just, just go share Just go share the episode, please. Welcome to the Brain Tools section of our first Brains at Work episode, and we're all getting to the practical application so that you can actually improve your productivity at work. Now, Sam, before we do crack in, I just, look, caveats, context, I have to provide. May I? Yeah, please, please do. We all love a bit of context. Love some context behind the content. I think the thing about this as we've gone through this entire episode, obviously super important to look at productivity. But when if you fall into a few of these buckets, I'll be honest with you, I don't really think any of these tools will be as helpful as they could be. And I think the first one is if you aren't working on the right thing, 
Like if your aunt working on the right thing, I think it's very equivalent to saying the, the conflation of distance and direction. I mean, distance is not important if direction is wrong. And so the question you probably want to ask yourself is, what is the one thing I can work on now that will get me closest to my goal? Again, we don't want to conflate busyness and productivity. And that's my first caveat. Is that fair? Am I being fair? <laughs> totally fair enough. You're not going to get to France if you're walking towards Germany and you won't get there faster even if you sprint. I really love just France and Germany in there. Very, very good, Samuel. I like, I like the countries. <laughs> and the second one I want to bring to the table, though, is, and this is where some people might be falling to this boat as well, and I, I can really empathize with it, which is if you don't like your work. Yeah, Let's true. be frank. It is good so, point. so hard to be productive when you're experiencing more negative than positive emotion, particularly when it comes to reward, right? We talk about dopamine. There, There is also, though, something to be mindful of. There is a fundamental difference between something that is hard and not fun. So understanding why you might not be enjoying your work, why you might not like it, and also pegging it against the difficulty or perceived difficulty of it is a really important thing. So just those two things to keep in mind just before we get into these brain tools, because again, we want to maximize productivity, but particularly on the things that you're going to be working on. I'm done. Mm, uh, it's not really a rant, good. but it was just something. <laughs> it, it was, it's, it's an opener. It's an opener. It's also a bit of context too. Um, I think it's really important to make sure you're heading in the right direction because as we said, spinning your tires one way, you can make them spin faster, but if you're not going towards something you want to do, ultimately, um, it's taking you in the wrong direction. Oh, look at you. I didn't realize you were just an F1 driver, just spinning wheels. Are you just doing donuts round and round, Sam? <laughs> Daniel Ricardo is my middle name, which is weird because it's two names. I absolutely love it. Well, let's uh, let's crack in now after that context into the six brain tools. We're being very, very generous today. Six, Ooh, not four. Yeah. Let's start with up. brain tool number one, Sam, which is track your productivity. All right. Okay. You ready? Yeah, hit me up. So I was thinking about this, right? Have you have you personally ever, you know, you've had a day at work, right? And you get to the end of the day and you sit there reflecting on your day and you're like, what on earth did I actually get done? Has that happened to you before? Oh my God, so many times. So many times. And when you get to the end of the day and your to-do list is exactly the same as it was in the morning. Absolutely. And it's it's really disheartening. Like you get right disenfranchised because you're like, I've literally spent all this time at work. You feel like you've been productive. You feel like you've been in flow, but you've literally completed nothing. And I think mm. that's where Daniel Kahneman and you know Amos Tversky talking about behavioral economics come into it. Like human beings, and uh, again, I'm not anthropic. I'm not, not knocking people. We're just really bad statisticians. Like we're just not very good. We overestimate, we underestimate. And especially when it comes to work, as we said at the start of the episode, where if we spend eight hours at work, we've only really done three. And so my, my solution here, hopefully that can help, is really of the ilk of Peter Drucker's um, sort of famous quote, what gets measured gets done. My slight asterisk to that though is what gets measured gets changed. And so the key thing with tracking your productivity is actually to track the three things that we spoke about before, which is tracking your time, tracking your energy, and tracking your attention. And if you know where your time, energy, and attention is going, that's going to make it a whole lot better in terms of where you end up. All right. So super interesting. I really like the way you frame that and looking at visualizing and kind of tracking that productivity across those vectors. How would you actually do this? It is a super question. So I think the way to go about this is as follows, which is first and foremost, if we want to track our time, we need to get some time tracking software, right? So you can do Clockify, Toggle, Excel, completely up to you in which way you want to go about it. I personally use Clockify. It just works really well for me. You get this and then you're able to categorize all your different tasks, whether it's admin, whether you're going down, you know, high value work of like strategy or sales, whatever it might be in your role. Do it for a week, do it for two weeks. Now, here is where the beauty of this methodology comes in. It's all about that data. And now it's time to analyze. You want to then understand where did your time actually go? And the example I've got for you, Sam, a couple of years ago, um, mm -hmm. I actually uh, was got, went through some sort of like executive coaching, right? Not that it made me any better, that's for sure. However, what I would say is the executive coach um, actually got me to do this for two weeks and then color code according to what gave me energy and what drained my energy. So everything in green in this two-week period, I would actually color. I'd be like, cool, that gave me heaps of energy. Everything that was in red sucked my energy dry. And I saw, to be honest with you, that there was probably around about 70% of stuff that was really sucking my energy and not necessarily valuable for me to do. And the question became, okay, how do we systemize? How do we delegate that? Or how do you just operationalize that particular component so we can get the green to 50, 60, 70%? Impossible to get that to 100%, but I think that is a really, really key thing. So you actually know where your time goes and where your energy goes. 
And that's my my take. Mm, great, great example. Executive coaching. Uh, I had never thought about it that way, but I'm even thinking on like a personal level in my old role, I I started to look at a couple of things I was doing each day and I never tracked it like this, but then I noticed there was a recurring pattern of wasted time. Um, so I can say it, it's definitely worked, but I've just never done it to the extent of that before. Spot on. And I think this is the whole beauty of it. Like, again, you need to be able to measure where your time's going and that way mm. you can actually double down on the things that's really important. So that's brain tool number one, track your productivity. Ooh. And what a strong way to open. Speaking of brain tools, going to launch into brain tool number two, which is called the five-minute hack. Um, this is how you get started on something you keep putting off. And it's really simple. You basically give yourself five minutes to complete the smallest possible element of the thing you can do. So we've all been there, right? Maybe you've tracked your productivity. Maybe you know the things that you do that you shouldn't do, but you just can't start that task. You're just procrastinating. You've got a blank piece of paper in front of you or you're just sitting there staring. You're looking at your phone. You're going on TikTok. You're watching YouTubes. We've all been there. We've all been there. Um, Absolutely. I'm sure you've been there, kids. There we are, right? And too, the problem too is too many well, times, I, mate. We'll call the shadow realm. Shadow realm. <laughs> <laughs> the shadow realm of productivity. Yeah, we're getting Game of Thrones <laughs> up here with thespians. Um, the problem is, as we've talked about earlier, a little bit before, you've got this limbic friction where your your brain's weighing up these easy instant rewards of whatever the source of procrastination is, whether that's games, food, video, social media, versus this hard thing that your brain is really not wanting to do because it's perceiving it to be so hard. It's so interesting because the whole idea of limbic friction, I love that word friction, right? Which is like you're trying to move forward, but you're not able to. It's, I know it's going to sound like the weirdest thing I've ever said in my life. It's reminded me of chemistry. I don't even remember activation energy, but there's a certain amount of energy that's required for a reaction to take place. And in this case, the human components is making sure that you can get the work done and going <laughs> right. through that. So my my real thing on this though is like how would you go about it, this five-minute yeah. hack? The five-minute hack. Look, it's a great question. Glad you asked. And think about it as finding this path of least resistance to get starting. So two steps to use the five-minute hack. Commit to doing something for five minutes. And the second part is find the smallest thing you could do. So for example, maybe you're writing an email and you say, in the next five minutes, I'm just going to write the subject line. That's it. Or maybe you're writing a board paper and you tell yourself, in the next five minutes, I'm going to write the headline. Maybe you're analyzing some data and you say, I'm just going to create the Excel spreadsheet in the next five minutes. Because what you'll find is once you get started, something magical happens. There's this rush of endorphins, of dopamine secretion after you accomplish this tiny task in five minutes. That's probably going to take you a minute. And as a result, you start building up motivation, momentum. And that limbic friction before of this momentous task is broken down by this achievement you've, you've had in five minutes. That is awesome. I love, I've got to say, I love that word momentum. Because it's so true. Mm. Like the moment you're able to take that tiny step, right, a small win, it's the moment it generates a little bit of motivation, a little bit of momentum to then go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that was the classic case when it came to essays. When I used to write them back at uni, I don't know about you, writing, just putting down, write 10 words, ticking ticking that, writing the 10 words, ticking it off was uh, was game changing. Yeah, it's, it's a huge game changer. I've found in my own life to be like really, really effective, especially even with things such as writing the notes for this episode. I know I'm ragging on myself a little bit, but for, for getting started, I just wrote one sentence. I said, I'm going to write one sentence in five minutes. I then spent two hours on it, got my notes done. So, <laughs> Hells yeah. Hell yeah. This is brain, brain tool, brain hack. Brain tool, brain hack. So that's it. Brain tool number two. If you're really procrastinating something, use the five-minute hack. Give yourself five minutes to do one tiny thing and you'll find that fuels your motivation. Absolutely. I love it. And I think being lining nicely because that's, again, looking at the procrastination component, um, my brain tool number three is batch tasks, not just time. Um, I've got a hypothetical for you that I'm going to work run past you. I don't know if this is going to work, so let's let's just let's just go with it. You ready? Let's roll it. I'm, I'm ready for a bit of a hypothetical. <laughs> so imagine uh, you and I, Sam, we have uh, a phenomenal competition. Uh, it's an envelope competition. Okay. It consists of a letter, an envelope, and a stamp. And basically, the winner is the person that can do it in less time, putting all the stuff into the envelope, sign, seal, deliver, you beauty. However, we go about this in two very different ways. 
Okay. Myself. Well, no, no, you know, I'm going to put you first. You, on the other hand. So you get an assembly line. You're like, mate, manufacturing. Let's do this. Yep. You get an assembly line. You've got all the stamps. You've got all the envelopes. You've got all the letters. You fold. You do each individual one of those, and then you end up with all the envelopes. Me, on the other hand, uh, for some reason or not, I don't copy you, but I go down a different pathway where I get a letter, I get the stamp, I get the envelope, I put it all into one, and I do the whole thing, and I repeat that over and over and over again. The question becomes, Sam, who wins this very important, very momentous competition? (laughs) I want to say me because I'm biased, but I think it's you. I really appreciate your humility and my lack of humility for putting me in this boat. (laughs) But yes. uh, You've you've dug me here. You've dug me under the bus. I probably would win. And the reason then this comes from is the Toyota lean manufacturing method, that whole lean methodology that was popularized in Eric Rye's The Lean Startup. And it basically said that if you take an entire process end to end, you want to see what the bottlenecks are in that process. You'll never, ever be able to see that if you literally batch a single aspect of a particular task. You want to actually look at the entire supply chain across and actually do that. Now, this I know seems like a far cry, a far stretch, it does relate to productivity at the workplace. The solution is similar, simple. Batch similar tasks to completion. All we have to do is batch it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, right? Batching things together. And we know because if you're listening earlier that when you do similar tasks, you're also using or making it easier to use associated memories. There's less of a cognitive effort of switching between tasks. It's genius. Big one here. And this is where, you know, in in implementing this in your life, it's very simple. You need to make sure you get your calendar and then you pencil in that particular or batch that particular time to do that task. A classic case is emails. Instead of switching tasks and we want to avoid that switching cost, put emails. I'm going to look at it from 10.30 to 11. Outside of that, emails are not open. Doing it from Mm -hmm. 5 to 5.30. And it's those two stages, which means you're less likely to get interrupted from the deep work or the work that matters, but you'll still end up getting the stuff done especially when it comes to creative work, when you and I do this, and we've spoke, spoken about it with doing brain tools notes. Brain tools notes, here is the three hours. I've only got my Word doc up and my research stuff up. That's literally it. The benefit here, though, is that you'll remove the switching costs, as we said about it. You won't be crossing a bridge. You won't be making and paying all those tools, and you'll actually complete the tasks. That's the key thing about brain tool number three, batch tasks, not time. Ooh. So good. And it really lines up with an article I was reading earlier this week from David Badger, a cognitive neuroscientist, talking about those switching costs and doing things in batches so that you're really allowing your your mind, your brain to only load up one set of rules for that specific task and keep that in your working memory, your short-term memory, making it so much easier and so much quicker and more efficient, right? That is actually such a good point. Make it easy for your brain to get one thing done, hey? Yeah. It's a good frame. I like that. How about that? That was spontaneous in the moment. (laughs) Pat on the back. Uh, Speaking of brain tools and patting yourselves on the back, I've got brain tool number four, which is a brain tool for focus. It's the rule of one. And Mm. it's really, really simple. We're talking about making it easier for your brain. The best way you can do that is to create an environment to focus by using one task, one screen, one tap. Now, why would you want to do this? Because the problem is when you're sitting at your computer and you've got 10 tabs open, you've got Slack pinging in the background, your phone's buzzing because you've just got three social media notifications, but also you've got that video you haven't watched before and now your emails are going off. You have all these different stimuli, all these little uh, task cues, as they call them in, in cognitive neuroscience, telling your brain to pay attention to different things. So your salience network, your attention network is being hijacked by all these possible little other things you could be doing. It's almost like these notifications derail your brain's focus, creating the cognitive costs, as we talk about, and the switching costs, and also the time costs. I love that because what what is resonating massive with me is like literally what happened two days ago when I was at work and there was, you know, client services needed something, like all these different departments needed stuff. And that, I don't know about you, when I get overwhelmed, I get this really deep knot in my chest and Mm. it literally makes me want to run away. Like the path of least resistance is literally to do nothing and I completely dismantle. And I was sitting there being like, I wish just, I need just one thing at a time, one thing at a time, but there was 55 things at a time. And I feel like when people are at work, this is a massive thing that happens, especially when you're trying to put out spot fires. So I suppose my question is like one thing, one time, 
help me. How do I yeah, do this? How do I do help me. Don't worry about anyone else, mate. Just help me. <laughs> this is therapy, one-to-one. -one. You're so right. Um, I, and it's that sense of overwhelm, which is kind of stimulus overwhelm and possible task overwhelm in your brain, weighing up these million different things that you're trying to do uh, and, and kind of preoccupying all the space in your working memory, your short-term memory. So really, really simple implementation for this rule of one. One is... Obviously, do one task at a time um, and try to avoid having multiple things on your to-do list for this exact reason because if you've got five things written down, you're thinking about five things as you check that to-do list every time. So one task at a time. Write out one task at a time. Next part, have one screen, one tab open. This means put your phone away. This means close Slack, close email, like close all those tabs, the YouTubes in your browser, close all of that crap. Sorry, I'm clicking stuff right now because I've got about <laughs> three hours in doing this episode. <laughs> Legit. I can see you clicking. Oh, God. But um, close it. So have one screen open that you can see one screen. For me, for example, I would just open up a doc if I'm working on a doc or if I'm writing emails, I just have the email drafting up. That's all I can see. And then the next, the last step is just to remove all other visual cues or auditory cues that can be distractions. What I mean by this is making sure you close your menu bar, turning off your notifications, you know, putting your phone away. But even on your desk, I'm looking around right now and I've got a notepad. I've got sticky notes in front of me. I've got my wallet. All those things occupy space in your brain. And your brain is, your salience network's constantly scanning your environment. And when it comes across those things, it goes, oh, should I pay attention to that? Maybe there's something I should do. So really simple, get that off your desk. Get that off the desk. So those three things, one task at a time, one screen, one tab, and clear all visual cues and distractions from your space around you to focus. That's awesome, mate. I Like I said, we've just uh, removed a couple of tabs uh, as, we've, <laughs> as we've gone through this. I think the thing that's resonating with me, though, with this one in particular is like for a lot of people at work and ourselves included, sometimes and a lot of the time you want to be distracted. So if you want oh, yeah. to be distracted and you have the stimuli in your environment, you end up, you will be distracted. Oh, 100%. And so what you're doing is trying to, obviously you've got the, there's a desire. There's obviously like the inclination, but we want to take yep. the stuff away from the environment. One task at a time makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. It's like creating blinders for your brain, right? You know, these goggles by removing all these other stimuli and, and that's what's going to make it so much easier for you to focus. So that's the rule, brain tool number four, the rule of one for focus. I love it. So, so good. And that links really, really nicely, I think, into the fifth brain tool we've got here, which is set your systems free. Now, Sam, can I ask you, have you ever found yourself, now that you've obviously entered sort of in the freelance um, era and absolutely smashing it, do you find yourself repeating tasks time and time again, either now or in your previous work? Oh, absolutely. Like a stupendous amount. And, you know, sometimes they can become a real time sink. For example, writing proposals writing contracts, learning about that now, struggling with that now, frustrated by that right now. <laughs> Creator economy, mate, I've got to be honest with you, I'm the same. I noticed literally, uh, yeah. I think it was two weeks ago, I literally write out warm regards, Karen, at the end of every single email oh, on that. autopilot. <laughs> I'm that idiot that doesn't put it into my signature and I hope I'm yeah. not the only one here, but I calculated. It takes me like two to three seconds to actually write that thing. I'm repeating it every single email I do. By the time I end, I probably ended up spending maybe, I don't know, half a year, I don't know, something like that, writing <laughs> more regards, which is absolutely stupendous. <laughs> so I'm just sitting here saying, if you are doing tasks repeatedly, it not only wastes time, it drains your energy. And when I spoke yeah. about that idea of executive coaching, looking where my energy was drained, that was a really big part of it. And it was self-inflicted, especially mm. self-inflicted. So the, the solution's really simple. If you repeat something more than twice, systemize it. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we've got tools. That's why we've got email signatures. I guarantee you that comment has made some people absolutely freak out. Sitting there being like, how often do I write cheers? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Lukewarm Cheers. regards. Best. Yeah. <laughs> Talk soon. Look forward to chatting. Uh, XXXO. I've never written that in the email, but if you do, good for you. So the, the question is like, how do you set up systems? What, what, what does that process really look like? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the way that I think about it is like, I think the time 
tracking slash productivity tracking is super, super important to see the repetition. So that's my probably first thing around it. Yeah. Once you've done that though, then it's looking for the examples and asking yourself, how would I systemize it? You can, you don't have to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to be an individual creator. You can be literally at work at, with an employer and so on and actually thinking about, hey, what do I do in my role and what can I personally systemize myself to free up that time? So a few examples. If you send the same email and you notice you're sending the same email no matter what, create an email template, right? Do that. If you run a podcast, like what you do, create a running sheet template that you use for all your different episodes, stick to it. If you run a business, one of the main things that a lot of people have told me, create a FAQ wiki page. If you're getting asked the same questions by your colleagues, put those questions, put the answers, put it all up on a wiki so that they can access it. And therefore it's going to save a bunch of time, but also stop being like, you'll stop being a bottleneck because people need stuff from you. And finally, Mm. if you hold a weekly meeting and it's literally the same meeting every single time, create a standard agenda. This is the key thing is to find those systems and you start to realize that they're, they're if-then plans that you're creating and those are the automations that will help you and free up your time to focus on the stuff that matters. Those are some such great examples. I'm actually thinking now about what I've been doing in terms of my meeting processes this week was creating my own standard meeting processes for, you know, on a sales call or on follow-up calls, proposals, et cetera, for exactly this reason. I'm I'm really glad that I've helped you and it makes me really, really happy because I'm reminded though of a quote by Orison Svetmarsen. He's an American author and I think yeah. this sums, up, sums it up perfectly everything we're talking about. And he says, a good system shortens the road to the goal. And that's the real key thing with all these things we're talking about is if you have that goal, if you have that task, shorten the distance, make it cognitively easy, brain tool number five, set your systems free. Oh. Good one. I'm, I'm getting jitters. That was, that was a strong brain tool. It's like <laughs> Thanks, strong coffee. <laughs> Speaking of strong coffees and mornings, leading into brain tool number six, which is fuel your morning up. And this one is for energy. Uh, shout out to any people who are groggy in the morning. They're slow starters. You're like, you know when you just have those days sometimes that you had a bad sleep or a slow morning and you just feel like a slut. All day. Mate, you're uh, you're look, at your desk. Look, let's just, let's just, let, we've got to be transparent. We're transparent here at Brain Tools. I missed the recording this morning because I slept yeah. in. There we go. <laughs> I slept in. I was really tired. I had a bad sleep to Sam's point. So I was really, really groggy and I didn't rock up. So I'm really sorry. <laughs> Exhibit A, you needed this. You needed this. <laughs> so for those people, this Brain Tool helps you, gives more energy throughout the day. And basically, it works off this premise of how you wake up. And your awakening response determines your energy throughout the day. And you can amplify the way you wake up and therefore the amount of energy you have throughout the day uh, by using a, a morning routine with these three simple steps. Go. Three, All right. two, one. <laughs> three simple steps. Step one is to get light in your eyes within an hour of waking up. So there's a lot of research out there. We talked a little bit about this in our sleep podcast but effectively getting light in your eyes when you just get up, whether that's going outside, turning a bright light on. Uh, for me, I'll go to the gym and it's really, really bright. Sends a signal to your brain and your awakening response. This is when we're meant to be awake. Releases cortisol, uh, adrenaline or epinephrine in the brain, which actually starts to wake you up and tells you your system to wake up. So that's step one, get light in your eyes one hour after waking up. Step two, I'm treading on some toes with this one, delay caffeine for two hours. Mm, don't Dangerous. do this to me. So I'm literally changing my life right now during this episode, and now you've got my my pride and joy, my caffeine. What Listen, are you talking this, about? There's a good reason I wouldn't be telling you this if it didn't help you. Okay, you know, if mm, if this wasn't what, something you should do, say. I feel like I'm a kid right now, Kieran. You've been I'm, a naughty boy. <laughs> you need to take your medicine asap. Okay, a bit of sugar. caffeine. Why <laughs> delay caffeine for two hours? Because a when you drink caffeine before two uh, within two hours of waking up. You actually disrupt your awakening response, what we talked about a little bit before. We know caffeine triggers the release of cortisol. You're already having cortisol flood your system when you wake up. That's part of the awakening response. But caffeine also binds through the receptors, your adenosine receptors, which is the sleepy molecule so that you have that mid-morning crash. And everyone knows this. You have a coffee at 7 a.m. after you wake up, you get to 10.30 a.m., and you are wrecked. And that's because you've got a flood of this hormone, this sleepy hormone in your body, but you also went through this cortisol spike. So- no caffeine for two hours. Okay, the last I'm okay one, with it. I'm all right with that's it. That's okay. I'm all right with it. Fine. It's for your own benefit. You know, right. it's it's for your own stress and anxiety. And the last point is if you are one of those people who really struggles uh, with energy throughout the day, doing some exercise within the first one to three hours, so even 20 minutes of cardio, a bit of sweating, this 
just triggers the, the release of a whole bunch of neurotransmitters, neurochemicals like cortisol, uh, epinephrine, endorphins that will provide you energy in the morning, but also has a lasting enduring effect into the afternoon. So that's brain tool number six. Fuel up your morning by A, getting light in your eyes within an hour of waking up, delaying caffeine for two hours and exercising within the first hour or so. And for example, the way I do this, I just wake up, I go to the gym, get bright light and then don't have my coffee till nine. And I find every day that I do this, my energy just lasts all day. And the days I don't do this, I feel flat in the afternoon. So good. I love it. Those are six, I'm going to say, there's six solid brain tools, I think. And I'm Strong. being self-effacing right now, but I think we should go to the top. So we, shall we summarize? Let's do it. Let's summarize them up. All right. Well, brain tool number one is track your productivity. You cannot change something if you do not measure it, especially when it comes to your time, attention, and energy. Actually, time log for a week, two weeks, analyze that data, look where your energy is being sucked and drained, and look at systemizing and delegating and operationalizing those stuff so you're freed up to actually work on the stuff that matters. That is brain tool number one, track your productivity. And brain tool number two, the five-minute hack. If you're procrastinating, give yourselves five minutes to do one tiny thing. This will create motivation, momentum, and it'll make it much easier because you'll be reducing the limbic friction to getting started and you'll find yourself working for hours afterwards. So brain tool number two, five-minute hack. Love it. Leads lovely into brain tool number three, batch tasks, not just time. You do not want to switch between tasks during your working day, especially when it comes to emails. If you've got a similar task, get it all done in a time period. Get your calendar, especially when it comes to emails, half an hour here at the morning, half an hour in the evening. You'll remove the switching costs. You'll actually complete tasks, and that's the key thing. You don't want to get a little bit of five tasks done. You'd rather get all of one or two tasks done, and that's brain tool number three, batch tasks, not just time. Oh, absolutely. And then brain tool number four is the rule of one. When you're doing a task, do one task at a time, use one screen, remove all visual distractions and audio distractions, even if that means putting your phone in another room and clearing your desk, because this way you are forcing your brain to focus and it'll be much easier to get that thing done. So rule of one. I love it. So, so good. And brain tool number five, set your systems free. If you are finding yourself repeating the same thing over and over and again, five, 10, 15 times, ask yourself, how can I systemize this? How can I systemize it to save yourself time? If it's an email template, create it. If it's a proposal template, create it. If it's an FAQ page, create it because after all, a really good system makes the road to the goal a lot shorter. Set your systems free. That's brain tool number five. And last brain tool, brain tool number six is fill up your morning uh, get light in the eyes as soon as you wake up or within the first hour. Delay caffeine by two hours uh, and then exercise within the first one to three hours. These things will enhance your awakening response, which will give you energy throughout the day. So that's brain tool number six. Six, All right. six very decent brain tools, mate. And and I suppose as we wrap six up, 80-20 as we always like to finish. What's your 80-20, my friend? Mine is uh, listen to your brain and body because it'll tell you when you're ready to do work and it'll tell you what work you should be doing by how alert and how awake you are. So good. And uh, mine is focus on what you produce from your time, not just the time you consume. Remember, productivity is not completing time. Productivity is what you get done in a given amount of time. And that is the absolute aim of the game for Brains at Work Part 1. Oh. Wrapping it up, lots more to come in future episodes. So make sure you stick around for those uh, and we'll be plugging those just after this. But that's that's all I've got for this week. That's it. That's all I've got as well. See you later, Sam. See you later, everyone. See you later. All right, you have made it to the end. Thank you for listening and taking this journey with us. If you want to support the podcast, here's one thing you can do. Click the share button, copy the link, post it in a WhatsApp group, post it in a messenger group, give it to the people you think that could actually get help with their brains. I promise it'll take 10 seconds. Absolutely. Or if you're at work, drop it in a Slack chat, email out, email it out, share it around, share the brain, share the love, and we'll see you next week for episode 25, which is resilience and your brain at work.